What is up, futurists? Michael here, and you're listening to Our Future, the business podcast for young people. My next guest is Scott Alexander. He is an award-winning screenwriter. He's led an insane career in Hollywood, petting films like Ed Wood, The People vs. Larry Flint, Man on the Moon with Jim Carrey, Agent Cody Banks, Dolomite is my name, and his first foray into TV was with American Crime Story. Its first season was The People versus O.J. Simpson, and it won four primetime Emmys. He's also working on a Netflix original about Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, based on his memoir, Shoe Dog, one of the best business books of all time. Let's go behind the scenes in movies and TV. You went to USC School of Cinematic Arts, and that is definitely the place you go if you want to notch a career in Hollywood. So when did you fall in love with movies and TV? Was it as a kid? Was it in high school? When did you know that's what you wanted to do? I started super early. I was making super eight movies, you know, do the usual, you know, kind of kung fu chases and running around the backyard. And all my siblings and cousins were always the stars of my movies. And then I got into junior high and I started writing 15, 20 minute scripts. And then I would get all my drama friends. And uh, each summer we would start, we would shoot a big movie. But I really loved it. I uh, did a lot of drama and making movies through high school. And then uh, I only applied to two colleges. I applied to USC and UCLA. I started college in 81, which is when film schools exploded because of uh, George Lucas. because Star Wars came out in 77. And so Essie became the place in the country to go to film school if you were a film nerd. That, that's where you met your partner. Larry Karaszewski, my writing partner, uh, and I were freshman dorm roommates. And when did you realize kind of what both of you brought to the table in, in telling stories? To, how do you guys complement each other? Uh, I mean, we, we, you know, we stumbled into it. We didn't set out to have a career. We just had a, had a funny idea for a movie and... And uh, back back in back in the eighties, uh, you did not write a feature script in in college. No one did. It was unheard of. You don't, you don't, at SC you only wrote forty pages, and we just decided to write a script just because it was summer and we were kind of bored and we had a funny idea. And uh, one thing led to another, and we and someone read it and they gave it to somebody, they gave it to somebody, and they gave it to an agent. And two weeks after graduation, we were in a bit in a bidding war. And I was 22 years old and suddenly I had an office at 20th Century Fox. So I was a professional screenwriter and Larry was my partner. You had a big success with The People versus Larry Flint. More recently, the American Crime Story, uh, People versus O.J. Simpson was the first uh, series in that. And I, it was yeah. amazing. What do you love about telling stories in true crime, bringing these gritty, mysterious, sometimes very public historical events to, to life? Why do, you, why do you love doing that? I love the great untold Americana stories. You know, Ed, Ed, Ed Wood, Man on the Moon, Big Eyes, Larry Flint. They, 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 were, they were more people that most Americans had just heard of if they had heard of them at all. And we were sort of trying to, trying to make a case for why this person's story is interesting. Uh, with OJ, this was a story that everyone thought they knew. And, and basically our marching orders from FX were tell the story that no one knows. And that was, that was, you know, like waving meat in front of us. And so, you know, we suddenly said, oh my God, Marsha Clark filed for divorce the week before the, the murders. 
I, I didn't know that. I, I watched the trial when it happened. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, what, what, what kind of, what was she going through in her life that she was juggling, you know, fighting with her husband and, and fighting over the two boys, all that. What was, she was like literally driving back and forth between OJ court and family court in the same days. It's like, oh my God, what, what kind of pressures was she under? Um, you know, and then, and then, you know, and then, you know, Johnny Cochran, um, you know, he was doing so much, so much rhyming in, in the, in the courtroom, you know, that at, at times he would be a bit of a caricature and it was sort of like, no, that's really, that's really humanized Johnny and sort of like back up the story and talk about what he was doing, you know, back at, back in the sixties fighting for civil rights, you know, and then Darden was just a punching bag and, you know, and we really wanted to humanize Chris and sort of, you know, Chris was actually about to quit, about to quit the DA's office when the case happened. Uh, yeah, you know, so it, the challenge for us and the joy was just finding all this weird information and then trying to make the audience care about these characters that they'd never given much thought to. We shocked everyone by not making OJ the star because for us, that wasn't the point. Um, I mean, we almost looked at it as a bunch of people putting on a show. And a lot of this series was very meta, was about narrative. We actually, because we talked a lot about, you're telling a story. You're not, you're not watching uh, you know, a real-time video of, of the real people from the 90s. You're watching the Scott and Larry version and interpretation of, of what they went through. You know, we, we, we never claim that we're, we're presenting the exact truth. We're, we're presenting our, our best version of the truth told through our dramatic prism. I just want to know, how do you secure the rights to make these story replications? Do you have to call up OJ, Marsha Clark, and ask him if it's okay? Oh, or, God. Can you, or, or do you have fair game to just recreate everything because it was so public? Every project's different. The general rule of thumb is if you're a public figure, you have no rights. If you're <laughs> dead, you have no rights. And if you're a dead public figure, you really, really got no rights. And so... I mean, I mean, on OJ, we we needed zero rights. We we did not we did not talk to anybody. You know, the 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 Goldmans were a little hurt that we didn't talk to them, but the Goldmans had written a ton of books, so we felt like we felt like we had all their thoughts from all their books. You know, we didn't talk to Marshall. We didn't talk to anybody. Um, sometimes on these projects, uh, let's say let's say on 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 a man on the moon. Uh, by having Andy's rights, we had the rights to his material so we could recreate his acts because his, his, his estate, his family controlled his material. And so we spent a week with his dad and his sister and his brother sort of winning them over. And then they were like, OK, these guys are great. You know, uh, we've just written a script about Phil Knight and the founding of Nike. And that's based on Phil's memoir. And so we have his rights. A lot of the, a lot of the, the whole business world loves that book. It's, it's iconic. Why You're, did you read it? Oh yeah, of course. Nike is larger than life. It's plastered onto every soul and billboard. But those first uh, Japanese running shoes and the the history with Tiger and I think everything takes so long. Like it's a journey, right? You can't just start something and it be iconic. I mean, it took took like 40 years for it to become what it what it was <laughs> it's insane i loved it so that so that was the lesson you took away which is patience no he had to he had put through a lot i mean he just had to wait a year just to get that first pair of shoes from the japanese 
just awaiting, yeah. just like. Yeah, no, all, I mean, all, all that early miscommunication with him and the Japanese is great. It's just two totally different cultures. Uh-huh. Well, well just I mean, another good story. those who haven't read the book, what's so interesting is the story starts less than 20 years after World War II, you know, uh-huh. and they bombed Pearl Harbor and, and we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. And so they're, 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 besides the cultural misunderstandings, there's tension. And, yeah. um, and, and the idea of an American trying to import a Japanese product is just a weird idea, you know, back in 1962, 63. And so, you know, Phil's taking a real leap of faith on this. And it, t- it takes him many years to sort of <laughs> make the trains run on schedule. Can you just give us a snapshot of how Hollywood has changed in response to the pandemic? I mean, the, 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 the big thing is, you know, there's no production. You can't, you can't shoot. Uh, I'm a writer. Writers are the only people working right now. Like um, reworking, reworking all the scripts that are, were supposed to be already done. Yeah. Everyone in production is, is hurting just like everyone else in America and that they, they can't work. IATSE and the, and the Directors Guild and, and SAG-AFTRA, they're making all these figuring out all these workarounds with team A and team B and team A gets tested every morning and, and, you know, and you eat box lunches and you, and you, everyone wears a mask and all that. I feel like the elephant in the room is I don't think actors are going to want to be on set. I can't imagine that, that an actor who doesn't need the money is going to set foot on a stage at least this year. Maybe, Maybe young actors who are just breaking in and they need a, they need a break. And a low-budget horror movie is going to be shooting, and it's a small crew, and we're all going to go quarantine together. And it's like, yeah, I, I can, I can see those getting made. The the streaming paradigm, the streaming services. How do you view that, and how has that affected your work? I say, God bless Netflix. Netflix has saved the mid-budget movie. The history lesson is: when I was coming up, studios were making three, four, five hundred movies a year. Um, Disney was making 40, four zero films a year in the early nineties. They had Dis- Walt Disney pictures, kids films. They had touchstone and they had Hollywood pictures. Each division was making 12 to 15 films a year. Now they're making six. They got Marvel. They got a Marvel. They got a star Wars. I like to say the movies I grew up on all take place in apartments. And so it's it's become a, it's becoming almost impossible to make the movie that the movie that I love the movie that I prefer to work in, which is mid budget, where you're just and, telling a human a human sized story, but with with movie stars, you got enough money so you can pay stars, um, and then Netflix like has come to the rescue. Netflix has made so many of these mid budget yeah. films. It's democratized um, it. What kind of mindset do you have to have going into writing a movie like like? I mean, it's just there's so much mystique about what you do from people who aren't in it. Like, how the hell do you even write a movie? Uh, I mean, it's certainly not glamorous. You know, I'm not I'm not at a party with Julia Roberts. I'm I'm just but I'm just. There's sitting. so many angles. There's so many angles and situations you have to architect. Fortunately, I mean, Larry and I sort of in in we kind of invented a genre. Ed Edward was the first what we call anti biopic which was a biopic about someone who's not great. And we think, we think we were the first people to ever do this. Every biopic before 1994 was about someone who, who is impressive, who accomplished something important. And uh, so 
this genre lets us do lots of research and we, we love research and we love old school research. We love going into the basement of, of libraries and pulling out the old microfiche film of old newspapers. Cause a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff pre 1980 or so isn't, on, isn't online. Uh, as much as, as, as a 20 year old may believe that everything on the planet is accessible through Google. It's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Lots of old newspapers and magazines have not been uploaded. And we get a lot of joy out of going through, going through these old crusty magazines and papers. Yeah. And so the research for us is a lot of fun and it motivates us. And, and when we find a piece of, oh my God, this is great. And then you go, oh my, that, that, that made a cool scene. I can't believe that happened. And no one, That's no one so knows. Cool. That. That's sick. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and then we're just, we're just following the rules. We're just like, it's three acts, you know, and the first act should be around 30 minutes and the third act should be around 30 minutes. And it, you know, and then we're, we're trying to shape the, shape the story to, to have a beginning, middle and end. And, 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 uh, and the, the, the key piece of advice I'd like to give to wannabe writers is if you're, if you're going to write a true story is when, why are you telling the story and when do you, when do you stop it? And don't tell cradle to grave. Cause I don't care. You know, if you go see a, a if you go see, uh, you know, if you go see some Tom Cruise movie, it's not going to show him being born, and it's not going to show him getting old. And now he's an old age makeup, and then he died. It's like it's, it's like tell like take it tell like a regular story. You know, it's like pick pick the best two years, pick the best five years, pick 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 the period of time that's interesting, and then find an ending that is emotionally satisfying. What's your advice to young people who want to get into entertainment? Because there is no confirmed route in and you really kind of had this this insane moment and when you were young when you got into it but but what's your advice advice is if you're trying to break in as a writer don't be precious um don't be afraid of plagiarism show your scripts to anybody you meet um there's a whole network of kids who are starting out in the business and they, and they, a lot of them come in through at agencies uh, here, last advice that people want to be directors or or cinematographers. I mean, it's crazy how stuff gets passed around on YouTube and Vimeo. Yeah. You know, if you, if you want to go make a short, go make a short, my God. I mean, this wasn't available to me because we hadn't invented the internet yet, (laughs) but you can, you know, whatever people can send links around. If something's good, I, I get sent cool shorts every day with friends just saying, "Oh my god, you got to you got to check it out." I don't know who this guy is, but this is really cool. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Scott Alexander, one of the best screenwriters in Hollywood. And I just want to say how much I love these interviews because there's so much mystique about the entertainment industry, and it's so sick to go behind the scenes and. Learn about the inner workings of of what goes down in LA. Hope you guys are staying safe and you are following, subscribing to the podcast. Happy Wednesday.